0: How many of you uh, struggled watching the UVA basketball game yesterday against Duke? But I've got great news. UVA uh, did end up beating Duke. The UVA wrestling team crushed Duke. So, I'm excited for that. And anytime you can beat the devil, It's a good thing to do. For those of you who might not be aware, the mascot for Duke is the Blue Devils, and so any time again we can beat the devil, we know God is in the house. (laughs) So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to continue through the sermon series that we began uh, several weeks ago. And that sermon series is based on the letter to the book of Ephesians, the letter to the book. Of Ephesians. And so in that, we are processing through a sermon series that is brought to us by someone by the name, uh, the book is brought to us by someone by the name of the Apostle Paul. So he writes many letters in the Newer Testament, but the one that we're focusing on for this sermon series is the letter to the book, or to the letter to the Ephesians. Now Paul Just so you know, if you haven't been with us, Paul's a very interesting character in the Scriptures. He kind of hops onto center stage out of nowhere. What we know about him from Scripture is that the Apostle Paul was a guy who before he met Jesus took it upon himself To get authority from the Jewish government, from the Roman government, to begin to hunt down Christians and to imprison them, entire families, and to persecute them. And we know that his agenda was to see them killed. But all of a sudden, something happens to the Apostle Paul. As he is on the road to persecute Christians, he meets the resurrected Christ. And as he does, he discovers a brand new identity. His identity is now in Christ. His identity used to be in being one of the leaders of the Jewish faith. His identity used to be as a person who intellectually is a genius. He has been trained by the finest minds of his day. His identity used to be found in that, but now he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and his identity is now in Christ. God uses the Apostle Paul with his contemporaries and through his Holy Spirit-inspired writings to affect us. But during his day, Paul was a unique voice for Jesus because of his incredible intelligence, his breadth of experience, as well as the things that God had shown him through life. Now again, I want to reemphasize that next Sunday morning, Michael Ramsden will be with us. He is not the Apostle Paul, but he's a man that is intellectually gifted. He has traveled the entire world to defend the faith of Christ. He's been throughout the Muslim world and many other areas of this world, and he's gonna be here with us to share a message and to share some of his experiences that he has had. Again, I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday morning. And in order to do that, I want to encourage you that as you exit through the tunnels today, we have small invite cards. Those invite cards are the size of a business card. They are there to help you to hand one to friends to invite them to come to city with you next Sunday or any Sunday at all. So we want you to begin to utilize that tool and again as you exit, you'll discover those in the tunnels. Now Jesus brings to us, actually the Apostle Paul brings to us Christ in a specific way where he is teaching through his letter to the Ephesians that we are to have our identity in Christ. That process was as real then as it is now. This morning's sermon title is going to be titled, Identity Magnum Opus, magnum opus. How many of you have ever heard of the, uh, the Latin phrase magnum opus before? You ever heard of it? How many of you have not? Raise your hand. Got gotcha. you. Well, good. You're going to learn a little something this morning. Magnum opus is a Latin phrase that simply means this. A large and important work of art, music, or literature especially one regarded as the most important work of an artist or a writer. That's what magnum opus is. And I want you to remember that phrase, magnum opus, because as we talk about our identity in Christ this morning, that understanding, that little Latin phrase is going to come up repeatedly. So here's what I want us to understand. I want you to understand that when art is created, when something is written, when an artist or an author or someone creates something that is so profound that it's called their magnum opus, that not only does it bring a message, but it also says something about the person, the artist, or the creator of it. What makes something a magnum opus, by the way, is oftentimes it's extremely valuable, kind of like the Mona Lisa. When that is presented, when it's brought out, it becomes incredibly valuable. So remember the phrase, magnum opus. By the way, the phrase is not biblical, but I'm utilizing it with the prayerful goal that you would understand your identity in Christ in a unique way. Now, what we're going to do together is we're going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter two. Yes, we've actually made it from Ephesians chapter one to Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter two, we're going to read the first 10 verses. I invite you just to read along quietly I'll be reading the text out loud and then we're going to take a look at it together to discover what we can learn about our identity in Christ. Here's what scripture says, Ephesians 2.1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions, transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Reading on, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when you were dead in your transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Have you noticed how many times Paul says, in Christ. Do you get that? Reading on. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's a powerful powerful phrase from the text that we just read, and it's this, for we are God's handiwork. I want you to look to the person to your left and to the person to your right, and I want you to know that in Christ, they are God's handiwork. Now, here's something you cannot tell from English. But the word handiwork in the original language is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the English word poem from. So I want you to catch this. When the scriptures say and Paul announces that you and I are the handiwork of God, literally you are the poetry of God. You are an expression of God who creates, You are an expression of that God who puts things together in such a way to where now they are incredibly valuable. But I want you to catch this. Paul says that happens in Christ. In other words, God is an artist who takes all the parts of Pete Hartwig, my dysfunction, my brokenness, my sin, My worst thought and my best thought. My worst deed and my best deed. And God takes all of that together. And in Christ, he makes me his poetry. He makes me into something that is fundamentally different than those parts are separated and outside of Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul is letting you know and me know this that in Christ something fundamental happens, and that is all of the mess becomes in Christ poetry for God. Here's what I want to present to you that in Christ you are literally the magnum opus of God, that in Christ he has fashioned you and made you into what he is wanting you to be, and you represent him in this world. I want you to catch that. Now, as we look on in Scripture, the question has to be how does this happen? How does it happen? Because the apostle Paul, he's taking these people that live in Ephesus and he's processing them through in Christ and he says, people in Christ, you're being made into a whole new thing. You are becoming the poetry of God. How does that happen? Well, Paul, as he often does, is so faithful. He explains very carefully to the people of Ephesus how this happens. Here's what he shows us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you just read it. Here's what Scripture says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, and it's not by works so that no one can boast. In order to understand this process, there are four words we quickly need to get a handle on, four of them. The first one is the word grace. Grace is actually a secular term from the time of the Apostle Paul. And it's something that someone would show a friend where they would do them a favor and they would do it out of love and never expect repayment. Grace. Now, when it comes into the religious world and into the Newer Testament, in essence, it begins to mean unmerited favor. It's where God does something for you that you don't deserve. But catch this, in the secular usage of this in the Greek world, it was never towards an enemy, always a friend. And yet, Paul just said that God showed his grace to us while we were yet sinners and actually opposed to God. The next word we have to know is the word faith. Faith, in biblical terms, is relatively simple. It means that you have trust in something and then you put your confidence in it. Faith is a word that does not mean just belief. It's a word that also means action. It would be similar to having a chair that you trust in, but you have enough confidence to sin in. The next word is works. It's the Greek word energo. It's where we get our English word energy from. It means something that is produced because you put energy into it. And the last is the word gift. In order to understand Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we have to understand grace, faith, works, and gift. And the last word, gift, is something that people during the time of Jesus and the Apostle Paul would give to God. It was somewhat of a sacrifice, something that you would offer to God, but it was also something the gods would offer to people. And so Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 brings to us this simple understanding for it is by unmerited favor that you've been saved through trusting and placing your confidence in and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. God has given you a gift and it's not by works. It's not by your energy because if it were, you would become prideful And boast. Now, as we look at these verses, we come to understand this that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. And what does it say next? To do good works. So it's not just that I'm the handiwork of God, it's not just that I've been saved, and it's not by works that that can happen. But now Paul says to you and to me, I am the poetry of God and I've been created anew in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now here's what I want us to catch very quickly. We do good works once we are in Christ not because I'm earning my salvation. Paul just said that. You cannot be saved by doing good works. Paul said, it is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. And it comes by grace through faith. But when I do works for God, when I find my identity is in Christ, what I begin to discover is God has something special for me to do. I have a question. What is it And maybe you've never thought about this before, but you've made the choice to follow Jesus, you put your faith, hope, and trust in him, you know that you are now saved, what is it that God has for you to do? You are his handiwork, you are his poetry, and now God wants you to work, uh, God wants to work through you and in many ways co-create with him. What is that? What does it look like? Now, here's the ultimate question. In every sermon, we always talk about put feet to your faith. In every sermon, this shows up on this screen. Put feet to your faith. And so this morning, I was thinking about how can we practically take a look at this. And in order to do this, I'm going to ask that Ben and Jess Lewis would join me at the table over here, and I want you to listen to their God story. I want you to listen to how God got a hold of them and then brought them to the point where now they are missionaries, medical missionaries in Peru. So let's give Ben and Jess a warm hand as they come forward. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Jess.
1: <laughs> Good morning.
0: Do you recognize Jess? She's the one that prayed earlier. So, Ben and Jess were a huge part of our church family until several years ago, God did something unique in their hearts and in their lives. What I'm going to ask for them to do is, I want you to hear their story of them discovering Jesus. Finding that God was working and giving them a new identity in Christ, and then what it looked like for them to move towards this special work that God had foreordained for them to do. So I want to begin with you, Jess. Again, good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: (laughs) So can you briefly tell us about how you met Jesus to the point where you trusted in him and put your faith in him? Sure.
1: Sure. Um, So my family was nominally Catholic growing up. So we went to Mass, um, but none of us were particularly devout. Um, I remember as a preteen feeling like God was this old man in the sky who held a scale. And my good deeds would go on one side, my bad deeds would go on the other. And I always knew, like I knew that I wouldn't measure up. So I always kind of felt this guilt growing up. Um, When I was 16, I was invited to a ski retreat over New Year's. Um, with some of my friends, with the only evangelical church in my town. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and so it was the only Bible church, really, that there was. Um, I heard the gospel for the first time, and it was what I had been searching for. I mean, I knew. It was like a light bulb went off, and I gave my heart to Jesus, uh, New Year's Eve, and um, came back from that retreat a totally different person with a new identity.
0: What about you, Ben? Ben?
2: So um, I grew up in the same AG church from zero to 18 and um, went to church stereotypically as uh, many AG folks did in the 80s, three times a week, uh, Wednesday, twice on Sunday. And um, it's kind of funny looking back on it now because very few churches do that. But it really was um, formative for me as I grew up in the same church, uh, was very... um, tight with many folks in that church community, very tight with my parents. And um, I came to know Christ as a six-year-old in my living room with, uh, with my dad who led me to Christ. So you so. prayed a prayer with your dad in your living room? Yes. Gotcha. And, and I mean, my life, had, I, I've, I've tried to follow Jesus
0: ever since. <laughs> so gotcha. So now let's fast forward a little bit. You guys uh, head off to college, right? And what happened? In college, obviously, there's a place in which you two met. So, tell us a little bit about how you guys met. Go ahead, Ben. She'll correct you when you're done, but give your version.
2: (laughs) I'll try to leave the correction out. Um, So, uh, Jess and I met uh, as sophomores in Spanish class. Um, uh, I always thought she was really cool, and then I was like, what? Just we, ne- we never we didn't have mutual friend groups until our senior year, and um, one of the guys that I had grown close to as a junior and senior was talking to us and uh, set us up to or, or basically said, "Hey, she's interested in you. Are you interested in her?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. Let's let's make it happen." And then the 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 it was the, so the the reality is uh, Jess. She'll tell you the story. She did ask me out. Uh, but this was already kind of prearranged, so yeah, we met
0: that way. All yeah. right, Jess, your version. <laughs>
1: okay, so an interesting fact, he did when not. When you first
0: saw him, what did you think?
1: Oh, I thought he was like the cutest guy I'd ever seen. I had a big crush on him. We had like a nickname for him, me and my friends, and if they saw him on campus, they would Can tell
0: Can you me. share the nickname? No, it's
1: embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Spanish vocabulary word that I learned right. in the class we were in. Anyway, Um, an interesting point that Ben didn't mention is, so Jesus called us both to be missionaries in Latin America as teenagers. So, um, when I was 18, I went on my first mission trip to Costa Rica, his family, um, his mom's Venezuelan. And so neither of us thought we would ever marry someone from the U.S. We thought if we did get married, be someone in Central or South America. Um, so when we met, we kind of had the same sense of calling and yes, I am kind of a go getter. And so when I knew that he was interested, I obviously was also interested So we went to the same college church. Basically, it was like a college ministry. And one day after the ministry, I asked him if he wanted to hang out. And I knew he'd say yes. I probably wouldn't have done it otherwise. (laughs) But he's a little shy. He needed a little.
0: (laughs) little I'm glad I
2: got to share my slide first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So now you guys are in college. And then Ben, share a little bit just about the call of God in your life towards med school and kind of give us the, the quick version of what that looked like for you and then your call into mission. So share that if you would.
2: Well, there's not a quick version. I'll do it as quickly as possible. Um, I um, think I had a pretty solid idea that I was called to international uh, ministry uh, as a teenager and then uh, going. I went, we both went to Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. And um, during that time, I was a pre-med major, had a pretty solid, strong idea my, in my mind. I was preparing to be a doctor to, to, to move abroad eventually at some point. But during that time, I, I, re, I was not connected to a single healthy church body. I normally church hopped. Most of my friends, I was on the soccer team at, at Lee. Uh, most of my friends on the team weren't, weren't followers of Christ. And so I didn't have their support in my faith. And um, I never really found a church home. And so I was isolated during my four years there from my church community. And then really as just the belaboring of school went on uh, and I I decided to finally um, apply for medical schools, I had applied, was driving out to Memphis to interview at the University of Tennessee. And I was... was my, I had no desire to go to med school. And I was like, God, why am I even doing this? And so that precipitated four years, or really three years, of um, me trying to follow God on my terms. And so I then uh, tried, I, th- I started three different master's degrees. Um, I um, had two or three different jobs, got married somehow during that time. No, um,
1: we got married, like, in, right before all this happened. He was on well, his way to med this was, school. was this was
2: a year after undergrad.
1: Anyway, <laughs> we had just started dating, and he was driving to his interview, and he called me, and he's like, I don't think I want to do this. And I was like, all right, don't. <laughs> and the, I don't know that I was very encouraging.
2: Yes, <laughs> was not, No, was not. But um, <laughs> not, not to go to med school, at least. And so... Um, I I really the the, it, the idol there in my heart was um, that I wanted to rely on myself to make a, a healthy income on my terms and to serve God in the career that I wanted to say, hey Jesus, I'm going to do this for you, rather than laying that on the altar and saying, hey God, how do you want me to serve you? And so I um, finally. Uh, Re, re, began to relinquish that idol, uh, the Holy Spirit. Every time I was in a corporate uh, worship setting, just kept knocking on my heart, saying, "You haven't obeyed. You haven't obeyed." And then finally, I was like, "Okay, fine. I'll go to med school." After two years of that ha- that that happening literally on a weekly basis, and so um, I, I relinquished uh, to the, I relinquished that idol, began to take a, uh, to follow the Holy Spirit, and then. Um, You need to fast forward during med school. The Lord was very faithful during med school. We were connected to a healthy church body, began to have some sort of an idea that we were going to follow Christ abroad. But um, at the tail end of my first year of um, residency, um, so I was was an intern at UVA in pediatrics. Um, So in June of 14, we, we had uh, our first of two miscarriages, and so um, we were just, I, I had just put, I was, I was an intern, so if you watch terrible TV shows like Grey's Anatomy or House or anything like that, you're probably familiar uh, with what being an intern is. It's terrible. Um, I was an intern that first year, worked probably an average of 70, 75 hours a week, and um, just put my nose to the ground, wasn't really pouring in, wasn't really diving into my relationship with Christ. Um, and so when this happened, there, were, there was no reserve. Um, we were devastated, Jess especially was devastated. Um, I say that to say that pre- preceded us, to go, our going to Peru in August of 14, while I was in my early part of my second year of residency. So on the, on the fresh end of this deeply hurtful loss. We went to Peru. God began to stir, um, stir our hearts towards international service again. Um, I was not so ready to go. Jeff was like, let's go tomorrow. Um, but um, um, six weeks after we get back, we have another miscarriage. And so um, I, tell, I tell that because... Um, that was part of my, our dying, especially me, I think, dying to another idol of self-reliance. And so um, in dying to that idol or beginning to realize the need to die to that idol, I began to put more of my identity in Christ and as a son, of, a son of God. And so um, th- there's a series of events that um, led to our ultimately getting to Peru But um, the most significant one that followed four months later was a January of 15. One morning I woke up, I never wake up, or I almost never wake up early. Um, I just couldn't go back to bed. And I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? So I was like, I'll just go spend some time with you. And so then um, just started praying and just was broken before the Lord and realized that um, I had told, I had been telling Jesus after we left Peru in August that I'm not going, I'm not going straight after residency. I'm going to work four or five years, that's responsible, pay off my debt. And, um, he just, he, he said, you don't trust me with your debt. Um, and I, I was just completely broken. And at that point I was like, okay, fine, I'll do whatever you want. And so then, um, he started opening up doors with City Church and partnering with, with, with this, church, this great church body, um, with, uh, with Samaritan's Purse, who we worked for for two years in our long-term mission, Surge. And there are a lot of other things that happened during those, during those years, but those are some major and deeply impactful things that um, began to help us to realize our need to
0: regularly, daily put our identity in Christ. So Jess, is there anything else you wanted to add to what Ben just said? What what about part of your process, too? Mm -hmm. Because I know you guys had challenges together, but also in your own heart with going to Peru and serving. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Ben covered a lot. Uh, I think for me, because from the time I was 18, so 16, met Jesus, 18, felt like I was called to missions. Um, I was a missions major in college, traveled a bunch. When we got married, one thing Ben didn't mention is we moved to Chile in South America, um... We didn't really pray it through. We were just like, ah, we're called. Let's just do it. So it fell apart. Like, it was a terrible experience. We were there for two months. We had to come back. Um, And the dream never really died. Like, we still knew deep down God was calling us to do that. But for me, there was a 10-year period between us moving to Chile and us going to Peru where, for me, it was really difficult to be content living in the U.S. Um, I think... Part of, I mean, I was finding identity in God's called me to be a missionary. He's called me to live overseas. Like, what am I doing here? And I really struggled, especially, I would say, when we moved to Charlottesville, our oldest son, Elijah, was three months old. And I had worked full-time as a teacher. I also worked in youth ministry for Young Life um, and another inner-city ministry in Memphis. And so when we moved here, I transitioned to being a stay-at-home mom, and I really struggled with identity during that season. Um... I mean, I was just home changing diapers, hanging out with a baby. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know. I really struggled. Um, and so during that season, I would say in Charlottesville, the Lord did a lot in my heart and teaching me that my identity is that I'm his daughter and I'm loved. And all he wants is for me to love him and obey him. Um, and that raising a baby is a calling and a job that he gives us as well. Um, and I would say in Peru, I've struggled with that same thing. Um... I think this is a part of our lifetime sanctification is finding our identity in Him and not in what we do. Um, we thought we, so we had Elijah, we lost two babies, we had a healthy baby boy named Simon who was born here in Charlottesville at UVA. Um, and I told Jesus I was done having kids, we were not gonna <laughs> do this again. We moved to Peru, and instantly the Lord is like, I want you to have another baby. And I was like, no, like, absolutely not. I had given away all my baby stuff, I was like, we're done. And I wrestled for six months with the Lord about that um, before He finally won, and we had a baby boy um, named Gideon. But that whole pregnancy, I was homebound. I mean, I like pretty much was stuck at home. So I was violently, violently sick, Um, and it was the altitude. We live at 11,000 feet, and halfway through the pregnancy, we went to sea level, and all my symptoms went away. We landed back in Cusco. I get hit with a wave of nausea, and I just started crying. I mean, it was just hard. Again, I'm having to find my identity not in doing all these great things in Peru, which I had dreamed of doing, because I had to stop everything at that point. Hmm. Again, and find my identity in being a daughter of God and realizing that Jesus loved me exactly where I was, regardless of what I did, what I produced, what I was able to achieve as far as, you know, his work.
0: How many of you have found this fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? Now, what we're going to do is we're going to move towards prayer. And then we're going to stand and we're going to worship together. But I know that in many ways, this couple is kind of the extreme example of what it means to learn that you're God's handiwork, that you're a son and a daughter in Christ, and then to know that God's got a work for you to do. So I know they're kind of the obvious extreme case. But here's what I can tell you, is that every one of us sitting here who are in Christ You've got a similar thing that God has ordained for you to do. It could be as simple as finding someone in your dorm that is lonely and unloved, and you reach out to them because who Christ is in you, all the way to sensing that you're wrestling with a full-time call like Ben and Jess. So what I'm gonna ask that you would do is if you would stand with me now, and we're gonna move towards prayer, and then we're going to worship together with that simple song that says, Jesus at the center of it all. So let's stand together, and we're going to pray briefly. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for Ben and Jess's God story, that you're a God that took them through a process of where their identity is found in you, where they've wrestled with certain parts of that calling and what that would look like in their lives. But Jesus, I thank you that you're faithful. And now I'm asking for all of us as we stand into your presence that Jesus, we would put you at the center of who we are. That as much as Ben and Jess have had to wrestle and lay things down, I pray that you would do that similar work in our hearts and our lives together. In Christ's name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.